Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are, and whatever part of the day you're in, I sure do appreciate you joining me and giving me a little bit of your time. Hopefully it helps you get through some of the day whether it's vacuuming or changing diapers or cooking food or driving up and down the road, working out in the field, conference period, lunch, getting ready for work, ending the day, whatever it is, folks. I'm glad you're here. Not much. Uh, Other than it's still hot. (laughs) But fall is coming. Fall will come at some point. Thankfully. (laughs) Father, thank you for today. Thank you for you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the time to record this podcast and the people that listen to it. Bless them and their families. Draw us all close to you, Father. Help us to seek you first, to love you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Give us wisdom in who we elect, Give us wisdom in our personal lives and who we choose to give our time and energy and efforts to. Help us to love those that you have put into our lives and to follow the commands of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. And God, my words, please, Father. Amen. So we're going to go back to John Quincy Adams, sixth president, son of John Adams, the second president. We read a little bit of his biography yesterday or previous podcast, whenever that was. You can go back and listen to that if you want to. I wanted to come back to this letter that he wrote to his son on in September of 1811. We kind of rushed through the last part and we're going to spend a few days here on John Quincy Adams. He's a pretty good example of that founding generations or I guess really that first generation of young Americans. Their feelings, the general sentiment I'm going to reread just the last few paragraphs. Let us then search the scriptures. The Bible contains the revolution, revelation of the will of God. It contains the history of the creation of the world and of mankind. And afterward, the history of one peculiar nation, certainly the most extraordinary nation that has ever appeared on earth. 
It contains a system of religion and of morality, which we may examine upon its own merits, independent of the sanction it receives from being the word of God. I shall separately number separately those letters that I mean to write to you upon the subject of the Bible. I wish that hereafter they may be useful to your brothers and sisters as well as to you, as you will receive them as a token of affection for you during my absence. From your affectionate father, John Quincy Adams. Just a couple things here and then we'll move on. One, this idea that we can look at the system of religion, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount. Even outside of them being God's word. And that ties into this idea of free will. Uh, that we've talked about a little bit recently. And the the two different sides of the coin. You know, our founders, again, you didn't have to be Christian in order to be an American. But they knew that without a people that followed the teachings of Christ, we wouldn't have a republic. They knew that you couldn't force people to faith, right? You couldn't force people away from faith either. But men had to be free to choose whether to follow God, to choose Jesus Christ, or acknowledge him as their Savior, as the Son of God, who died for their sins, who rose from the grave on the third day and ascended into heaven. And But they had to be free to make that choice. They couldn't be forced. We read some great quotes recently by a number of our founders on that. But the bottom line is, whether you do that or not, and I I can't, that is the most important decision that every single human being will make in their entire life, bar none. And if you don't make a decision, that's making a decision. But if you choose not to accept him, which I cannot warn you against enough the point is still that these teachings of Christ have to be the center of our nation that's the only way you get freedom and liberty you can't get it through any other system everywhere in the world throughout history every time you see freedom and liberty in any form or fashion The basis of that has been following the teachings of Christ. Whether those people acknowledge that or not, whether it's based on a completely different doctrine or faith or ideology, the point is every time you see some semblance of true liberty or freedom, it goes back to this morality, this system of teachings promulgated by Jesus Christ pointing back to God and basically the Ten Commandments. So uh, this is just a real interesting part of his letter. And the other thing here, uh, noting the peculiarity of Israel and then really the teaching of children. Uh, I, I wish I could find it. It was, it's a quote that I read years and years ago in a biography by David McCullough on John Adams. 
but it stuck with me. You know, John Adams was arguably the second most important founder in our nation's history. Uh, certainly one of the top few. Uh, did phenomenal things for our country. And uh, the people obviously respected him a great deal, gave him the presidency. And toward the end of his life, I think, maybe after being president, I don't remember, but he made the comment because his children were kind of a disaster. <laughs> Not kind of, they were. And he said, no amount of patriotism, basically, no, no matter how noble your ideas are, you cannot abandon the responsibilities you have as a parent. And that goes back to, you know, our priority podcast that we do every so often. God, family, country, and for me, core. But you have to, we have to act out those priorities each day. And we may do a podcast again on that. But if you're not acting out those priorities each day, if you're not looking to God first, following his commands, if you're not loving your spouse via action each day, if you're not loving your children, right? If you're not serving your country by serving the neighbors that you have around you each day, then we're failing. December 31st, 1812. I offer to a merciful God at the close of this year my humble tribute of gratitude for the blessings which he has in the course of it favored me and those dear to me. My endeavors to quell the rebellion of the heart have been sincere and have been assisted with a blessing from above. As I advance in life, its evils multiply and the instances of mortality become more frequent and approach nearer to myself. The greater is the need for fortitude to encounter the woes that flesh is heir to, and of religion to support pains for which there is no other remedy. Uh, just a great example of our humanity and, and somebody that from all outward appearances did a pretty decent job of following Christ and those principles throughout his life and really develop that relationship and look toward that relationship and put all their hope in Jesus Christ because that really is at the end of the day, folks. That's the only real hope we have. At some point, you have to realize uh, and you can realize and accept it or you can realize and reject it and fight against it, but you can't be perfect. And that's, <laughs> some of y'all that know me are going to laugh at this. Uh, because you know how imperfect I am. Uh, but that's been really hard for me at times. You know, but John Quincy Adams here is saying, the longer I live, the closer I get to death, the more I see how much I need God and Jesus Christ. Because you don't have any other hope. There's no way for you to attain perfection. There's no way for you to do enough good works to make it to heaven and eternal life. The only hope you have is Jesus Christ. And if there is no eternal life, then following Christ just helps you try and make the world a little bit better place for the other people while they're here. But if there is eternity and an afterlife, the only way you're going to get there is Jesus Christ. You've got to have somebody perfect to stand in uh, because we can't do it. <laughs>
Lord knows I can't. Uh, after negotiating the Treaty of Ghent, December 24th, 1814, uh, he's writing from London about these false doctrines being spread by the intellectuals, the academics in Boston. That sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? I perceive that the Trinitarians and the Unitarians in Boston are sparring together. Most of the Boston Unitarians are my particular friends, but I never thought much of the eloquence or the theology of Priestley. His Socrates and Jesus compared as a wretched performance. Socrates and Jesus. A farthing candle and the sun. I pray you to read Massillon's sermon on the divinity of Christ and then the whole New Testament, after which be a Sonosian, if I said that right, if you can. Another letter. I find in the New Testament Jesus Christ accosted in his own presence by one of his disciples as God. Without disclaiming the appellation, I see him explicitly declared by at least two other of the apostles to be God, expressly and repeatedly announced, not only as having existed before the worlds, but as the creator of the worlds. Without beginning of days or end of years, I see him named in the great prophecy of Isaiah concerning him to be the mighty God. The texts are too numerous. They are from parts of the scripture too diversified. They are sometimes connected by too strong a chain of argument, and the inferences from them are, to my mind, too direct and irresistible to admit the explanations which the Unitarians sometimes attempt to give them, or the evasions by which at others they endeavor to escape from them. I think other than just the content of the quote itself, uh, talking about, you know, the argument from a lot of people, sadly, even from a lot of people that claim to be Christians today, is that Jesus Christ isn't God. And of course, John Quincy Adams is refuting that and saying, no, there's, there's multiple places, just in his interactions with his disciples alone, where Jesus Christ either admits that he is or allows himself to be called God without denying it, which is the same as admitting it, right? It goes back to C.S. Lewis's theory. He's either uh, completely crazy or evil, or he actually is the son of God and, you know, act accordingly. But I think the part here that's so important that ties in with John Jay's quote about electing Christian leaders for a Christian nation is he had just completed one of the most important political tasks, if not the most important of his life to that point, uh, in negotiating the end of the War of 1812. And he was focused on Jesus Christ. And we've got to have leaders that are anchored to Jesus Christ and have their political life revolve around that again if we have any hope of saving the nation, folks.
God bless y'all. God bless your families. God bless America. We'll talk to y'all again real soon, folks. Looking forward to it.